ಶ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮೇಷ್ವರ ಅಪರೋಕ್ಷಭೂತಿ ಬಾಯ್ ಶಂಕರಾಚಾರ್ಯ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ವಿ ವೇರ್ ಆನ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ನಂಬರ್ ಟ್ವೆಂಟಿ ಏಟ್ ವಿ ಹನ್ ಟ್ವೆಂಟಿ ಏಟ್ ಆರ್ ವಿ ಗೋಯಿಂಗ್ ಆನ್ ಟು ಟ್ವೆಂಟಿ ನೈನ್ Let's do 29. Swadehe shobhanam santam Shobhanam santam Purushakyam cha sammatam Purushakyam cha sammatam Kimmurkham shunyam atmanam Kimmurkha shunyam atmanam ದೇಹಾತೀತೀತೀಲ್ ಸಿ ವಾಟ್ ಇಟ್ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ ಬಟ್ ವಾಟ್ಸ್ ಗೋಯಿಂಗ್ ಆನ್ ಹಿಯರ್ ಅದ್ವೈತ ವೇದಾಂತ ಸೇಸ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಫಂಡಮೆಂಟಲಿ ಮಿಸ್ಟೇಕನ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ಹೂ ವಿ ಥಿಂಕ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ ವಿ ಡು ನಾಟ್ ಇವನ್ ಕ್ವೆಶನ್ ದ ಫ್ಯಾಕ್ಟ್ that we for us it's a fact and we do not even question it that we are this body this little person this individual who has a particular life history that's what is common to that's what yeah is there, is there a problem and we do not even question this but advaita vedanta says we are fundamentally mistaken about this we are actually infinite existence we are not by that we mean that it's not that we are this body which is fated to be born and live for some time and grow old and decay and die no we have no birth and no death we are infinite consciousness we think we are subject to this brief periods of waking and then dreaming and then deep sleep and maybe after some time as we go older maybe we lose memory get alzheimer's or something and then we lose consciousness and then we die and maybe nothing is there after that no rather vedanta says we are infinite consciousness manifested as this little person's consciousness right now we are infinite bliss vedanta claims that we think on the other hand that we need happiness we need things from the world to make us happy we are chasing happiness and we are trying to overcome suffering that's what we think and we we don't even question this it's an unquestioned fact for us this is the foundation on which we build our lives that i'm a person who is subject to birth and death birth old age death that i am a person whose awareness is a brief instant of a flickering candle in eternal darkness uh, i'm aware now every night i lose awareness and after that sometime all my knowledge my awareness all will fade out we we do not even question whether it is true that we need happiness from the world outside we are chasing happiness all throughout and we end up frustrated nobody yet in human history has claimed except for the enlightened persons nobody yet has claimed that he or she has been perfectly happy in mundane existence we don't we don't question this vedanta questions this and vedanta tells us on the contrary we are infinite existence consciousness bliss right now now if we are that right now come, come. if we are that right now then all we need to do is to know it to realize it to make it a living reality we need to know why is it that we don't experience it why is it that we don't don't get the benefit of that it's no use saying that you are a billionaire right now if you are still you have to go for your welfare checks you may be a billionaire but you don't have access to those billions so how do we get access to our billions you see it's exactly like a wave not knowing that it is water 
It is water, but it does not know its identity as water, its, its reality as water. Now, what's the disadvantage of being a wave? It's nice being a wave. What's the disadvantage of being a wave? Well, well, there are many, many disadvantages. There are many disadvantages. For example, first, a wave is born, it's, it arises in the ocean. Nothing wrong there. And it increases in size. And as it rushes towards the beach here, it starts diminishing and it knows its inevitable doom that I'm going to end. I'm getting smaller and smaller and go back into the ocean. Birth and death are fundamentals for us, whether religion, spirituality or anything is true or not. But we know we had a beginning and we're going to come to an end. That's the disadvantage of being a wave. That's the disadvantage of being a little person. This ever-changing little individual. That's the disadvantage. What other disadvantage? The disadvantage of being a wave is that you are cut off from all other waves. I'm a wave and that person is a wave and that, that's a wave next to me. There's another wave. There's another wave ahead of me. There's another wave behind me. Some are friendly to me. Some I don't like. Some are in competition with me. We are cut off from all others. Being an individual person immediately means I'm cut off from the whole wide world. Being cut off leads to lots of problems. You, one, the wave might get a superiority complex. Oh, I'm a wave. That little fellow is a bubble. Nothing compared to me. Look at me. I'm huge. But then the other, other problem arises. Just behind him comes this giant tsunami wave. I'm nothing compared to that. I'll never amount to anything. This guy's far beyond me. That's the disadvantage. I struggle to make a million in my life. I get maybe somewhere close to it, maybe not. And I feel superior to the guy who is maybe homeless or doesn't have a steady income. Or maybe I think, oh, that guy's a loser. I'm on my way to my first million. When I run into a billionaire and I say, I'll never amount to anything. I spent 40 years of my life, the best part of my life, trying to accumulate a million dollars. Here's this guy who has a thousand of those million dollars. So I'll never get anywhere. I'm nothing compared to him. Competition, frustration, envy, all of that comes from being one little wave. What's the advantage of being water, of knowing yourself as water? The advantage of knowing yourself as water is the wave has a birth, an existence and an ultimate dissolution. Before it became a wave, it was water. When it is a wave, it is water. When it dissolves back into the ocean, it is water. It was water to begin with. It's water at the end. And what is water at the end and what is water in the beginning is water in the middle, even though it looks like a wave there. In the same way, instead of knowing myself as just this little person, if I know myself as this infinite existence, consciousness, bliss, satchidananda, which Advaita claims that I am, what will I know? I will realize that I was Satchidananda even before the birth of this little person, this body. And I don't care if there are many births and many lives as the Hindus, Buddhists, the Indic religions say or as the Abrahamic religions say there is only one life. Doesn't matter. Before this, I was infinite existence consciousness bliss. When this body dies, it will go back into the infinite existence consciousness bliss. And in between, right now, am I a little body? Subject to the, all the sufferings that flesh has? No. Even now, though I look like a wave, I am water. Do I look like a, a little person? I am that infinite existence consciousness bliss. In other words, when, I, when the person knows itself as the divine, as existence consciousness bliss, realizes that we are not mortal. We are not fated to, to birth and death. We are immortal. You realize your immortality. Not as something to be attained. I'll do lots of good things and I'll, I'll believe in this religion or whatever my um, religious teacher tells me. I'll believe that and try to be a good person and so that I can become immortal in the future. Oh no. You realize yourself as immortal beyond any scope of any change, any threat of change. You are eternally and always. You were, you are immortal. 
How can you become immortal? You see, immortal is somebody who has no, or something that has no birth or death. Becoming immortal is a contradiction in terms. So, that's one advantage of knowing of the wave when it knows itself as water, when we know ourselves as existence, consciousness, bliss. Then what about the other problem of seeing ourselves as different from each other? When the wave knows itself as water, then all the other waves, all, the, all of them, I am one with all of them. I am the ocean, not one wave. When we know, when the little person knows itself as existence, consciousness, bliss, then it knows, it feels, it senses its oneness with the entire universe. One thing about sages and saints is that they always, all the time, feel an immediate oneness with you. Why do people, you know, they, they feel so close to a, a truly spiritual person? That person is almost like a, is like a mirror who reflects you back to yourself. It's absolutely one with you. That's why you feel secure. You feel more secure with that person than you would feel with yourself. Because that person is in fact your inner reality. So oneness, the wave feels, I am not one wave, I am water, I am one with all waves. Then the result will be all the competition, the jealousy, the superiority complex, the inferiority complex. The tsunami wave and the little wave, we are one and the same water. The bubble and the whirlpool and the surfing and surf on the, on the waves, all of us are the same water. I am in all of them. No superiority complex, no inferiority complex. It's called samadrishti. When I realize I am the infinite existence which appears as the rich person and the poor person, I am exactly the same as both of them. I am one with them. As the learned professor and as the ignorant illiterate, I am one with them. As the most powerful man, as the, as the uh, helpless person who is, uh, is a completely powerless, I am one with them. Yeah. So that's what happens. We feel a sense of oneness and the problems of inferiority, superiority, competition, all those disappear. That's the advantage of the wave knowing itself as water. That's the advantage of the little person knowing itself as the infinite existence, consciousness, bliss. Even after the wave knows itself as water, will the wave disappear? Will the bubble burst? Will the surf mm, disappear in, back into the water? No. The wave can be there, the bubbles can be there, the surf can be there. All of it can be there. But you know you are the same water. Even after enlightenment after you realize that your real nature the little person continues this body will continue to do what its karma has programmed it to do you will still have the experiences which you are fated to have but now you live universally your life is in the universe and the universe exists in you you are not limited to the little person now all that sounds beautiful but how does the wave know itself as water there is a process. There is a process, a method to it. First, the wave must know the difference between wave and water. You see? The wave must first become aware of the difference between wave and water. It must know that a wave is a form, is a shape, is an activity, is a name. Name, Nama in Sanskrit. The shape, the form, Rupa. And the activity, the motion of the wave, it comes up and rushes towards the shore and then melts away. That is called Vyavahara, the activity. And in and through all this name, form and activity, it is the same substance, the water. So the water and the wave, these are, the difference must first be appreciated. In the same way, in Vedanta, first, in order to know ourselves as infinite existence, consciousness, bliss, the little person must first differentiate what is infinite existence, consciousness, bliss, what is this infinite existence, pure consciousness, from body and mind. 
I must know myself as a witness of my mind. I must know myself as the pure existence which is the ground of this universe. The difference between the two, name and form on one side and existence consciousness bliss on the other, this must first be appreciated. That's what's going on here. This is an introduction. What we have been doing for the last 20 verses, uh, about 15 verses or so, is differentiating between self and non-self. Between the body-mind on the one side and pure consciousness on the other. Why are we doing this? The wave is beginning to appreciate in the wave because what we see as the wave is not just the wave. It's the water appearing as the wave. In the wave itself, when we look at the wave, there is water. Of course there is. In fact, Vedanta would say there is only water. There is no such thing or reality called wave. All the reality of the wave is water. Anyhow, but first we must be able to distinguish between what, what we call wave and what we call water. And that's what's going on here. Existence, consciousness, bliss, separated from body-mind. That's what we're going to see now. We are seeing this now. Keep in mind what will happen later on. After realizing the wave, after realizing that it is water, what one more thing that it has to realize? It has to realize that the wave for name and form is nothing other than water. It is, so there are not two things, a wave and water. There is only one thing, the water appearing as the wave. First we split it into two, in a state of ignorance it appears to be one, wave and water. When we start analyzing, when we start philosophizing, then we make a difference. This is called wave, this is called water. So we make this difference. And afterwards, we realize the water alone appears as the wave. Again, the two are merged back into one. Because otherwise, an illusion will remain of, of a duality. There is a false jagat, a world, and a real Brahman. There is a real pure consciousness and something else called body and mind. So that difference is finally erased later on. But first, we must make this difference. In fact, in one place in the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, Somebody asked Sri Ramakrishna, it's very interesting and can be misunderstood. Somebody asked Sri Ramakrishna, is the world false? Is the world false? And a non-dualist and Advaiti in a jnani would say, yeah, the world is false. Brahman is real. And Sri Ramakrishna has on many occasions said, God alone is the reality, all else is unreal. Brahman is real, the world is false. Sri Ramakrishna himself has said. And to this person, Sri Ramakrishna says, no, why should the world be false? <laughs> and then he says, in Bengali, O bicharer katha. That's a stage in philosophical analysis. It is true at that point, from one point of view, the world is false. But afterwards, you have to realize there is only one reality. Not one reality called Brahman and another reality called a false world. They are not two. So, Ultimately, there is only one existence, consciousness, bliss, one reality. That will be realized later on. But right now, let's come back to, we are in, in this position where we are trying to distinguish between body-mind on one side and, and the pure consciousness on the other. Look at this verse. Swadehe shobhanam santam. Right here, in this body, is the Atman, is pure consciousness. Purushakyam, which is called Purusha, we'll explain all this. Sammatam, which is clearly expressed in the scriptures. Kim Murkha, O fool! Yeah, he's telling us. <laughs> Why do you think that the self does not exist? The self which transcends the body does not exist. Why do you think that it does not exist? You see, the question here will be, when you try to distinguish the self, pure consciousness, from the body-mind, you know what objection will come? Even if you don't say it, the objection will come. The objection will come is, what we normally experience as body-mind, other than that, nothing else is experienced. Other than the body and mind, what else do we experience? 
some people say no there is pure consciousness i don't experience it but uh, very very advanced spiritual practitioners they experience it and one day i will experience it also good luck you will get it but not in the way you think you know what the problem is all that we have experienced all throughout our lives are objects here is a glass here is a table here is a person here is a word outside these are objects then you will say no swami i also experience the subject i myself i am the subject i experience the subject if you experience the subject follow this carefully if you experience the subject what you are experiencing is an object what do you experience as yourself a body that's an object why is it an object because you know it whatever when i say object i don't mean anything derogatory what i mean is a purely philosophical sense what you know anything that you see you hear you smell you taste you think about you feel you imagine you understand any of that is an object it can be a gross object out there in the world it can be a subtle object in here in your mind it's still an object you think you know yourself what do you know as yourself point to it if you can point to it it's an object it's not the subject here is the body object here is the breath the life force is within us object are you not aware of it object the whole um, school of mindfulness meditation uh, following the breath if you follow the breath you're following you're aware of it you have to become aware if you're aware of it then it's an object thoughts in the mind memories i am so and so this is my bio data my history of life i am the son or daughter of so and so the father or the mother of so and so husband and wife all these relationships these are all known to you are they not known to you very much known to you otherwise how do you say it objects even the sense of i think within i you know it it's an object everything that we know in life is an object and therefore what's the problem then the problem is when you try to realize the self you yourself you are still looking for an object oh we don't know how deep this problem runs as long as you do not think about it it's not a problem when you think about it it's a big problem because whatever you think about even the subtlest conception you have got of it try to think about pure consciousness you will think about maybe light or a blue sky something like that it's an object because of that the doubt arises so the self it does not exist everywhere i see if is that's not the self then the self does not exist that's the uh, uh, point he's taking oh fool he says why do you say the self does not exist why do you say the self does not exist it's right here in this very body right here the one who says i the essence of that is the self otherwise you couldn't say i it's right here in this very body swadehe shankaracharya says yaeva tasya nirakarta tasyeva atmasa in sanskrit what does it mean whoever denies the existence of the self it's his own self it's a self itself otherwise how could one deny something vidyaranya swami he says humorously to say that the self does not exist is as shameful as saying out loud that i don't have a tongue i don't have a tongue if i say it loudly if i express it in speech how is it possible if i don't have a tongue or some kind of vocal mechanism the very fact that i am speaking gives lie to my statement that i don't have a tongue the very fact that we can think oh the self does not exist it means the self exists who else is thinking but we do not know its real nature and is pointing out the real nature so adehe shobhanam santam shines auspiciously in this very body shobhanam auspicious why auspicious the only thing auspicious in us is that existence consciousness bliss pure existence 
Everything else about us, this body, inauspicious. Inauspicious means it's a mess. It's skin and bones and flesh. If it is kept out on a table in front of you, you'll run a mile. So, the body is not auspicious. When the self is, when the person dies, what do we do with the body? Every culture in the world gets rid of the body. Even the dearest and nearest ones. Children who love their parents will immediately get rid of the body of the parents once the person is dead. The body in itself is inauspicious. The mind, full of streams of imaginations, desires, anger, frustration. Somebody said, it seems that you, we have been designed for suffering. Think about it. Everything is per functioning perfectly in this body. One little cut at one and in your foot. And all your attention, it, does your attention say that 99 billion cells in my body are functioning so well, wonderful, best result. Any corporate would be so happy with that kind of result at the end of the year. Only one unit is not working properly. No, the mind will entirely go to that place and be completely miserable. Oh, I have a deep cut on my foot. It seems we have designed for, we are designed for suffering. Mind full of expectations, frustrations, changes, stream of ups and downs. Nothing auspicious there. What is auspicious is the consciousness which shines upon the mind and body. Shankaracharya sings, Chidananda Rupaha Shivoham Shivoham. The word Shiva there means auspicious. I am existence, consciousness, bliss, auspiciousness itself. Purushakyam. This consciousness, not the body, this consciousness is called Purusha. In Sanskrit, it's a very significant word. Now, it creates a problem in Indian languages. Why? In Indian languages, Purusha means man. So, are we talking about a male person here? No. In philosophy, in Vedanta, Purusha has a much deeper meaning. Puri shayanatiti Purusha. This body is considered to be a city. Puri. Puri means a city. In the Gita, they speak about nine-gated body. In the Kathopanishad, I think, um, more than that, 11 gates of the body or 12 gates of the body. And it's like a city with many gates. And in this city, who stays? Pure Vasati, Puri Shayanath, one who sleeps or one who stays in this body, which shines in this body as the eye. That's the self. So that's why the self or consciousness is called Purusha. Akya means named. The self is named Purusha. Why? Because it dwells in the body. Actually it dwells everywhere. According to Advaita Vedanta, the, the pure consciousness, existence, bliss is everywhere. We'll come to that much later, not now. But right now it is evident here. It's evident within ourselves. We feel it within ourselves. I am here. Purusha. Purishayanath. One who stay, stays or dwells in the city of the body. And that's why it's called Purusha. In Sankhya philosophy, the word is used. Sankhya speaks about the duality of consciousness and matter. Matter, energy, all of it together is called Prakriti, nature. And pure consciousness is called Purusha. Each of us is Purusha, really speaking. And the rest of it is nature, Prakriti. Now what happens? This body, is it Prakriti or Purusha? It is Prakriti. It is made of matter. There is matter and energy here. The five elements, they go together to make this body. It is Prakriti. And the mind? That must be me. No, because you know the mind, it's an object. It's Prakriti. It's nature. Then what is the problem? Purusha, pure consciousness, dwells within this very body. It shines in this body, is reflected in the mind. And the problem is, we are unable to distinguish between Purusha and Prakriti here in this body. We mix it up together. And what is Prakriti, we, we the Purusha, irrespective of whether you are man or woman, you are Purusha consciousness in this body, irrespective of gender, race, color, creed, whatever. We claim this body to be ourselves. 
we the purusha we claim prakriti to ourselves we, we are unable to distinguish between purusha and prakriti in this very existence so what sankhya says is that liberation the suffering is because you are unable to know yourself as the mortal purusha and you consider yourself as this changing body a product of prakriti that's why you are subject to birth and death and suffering and craving and what you should do recognize yourself as the unchanging consciousness of purusha apart from prakriti so sankhya is actually distinguishing yourself from prakriti purusha prakriti vyoga separation of purusha and prakriti in realization in understanding not physically you can't tease them apart with pincers so that understanding is freedom that's why sankhya calls freedom in the evocative name kaivalya aloneness kaivalya is aloneness what becomes alone the purusha remains in itself alone as pure consciousness like a star shining alone by itself in the night sky each of us is a separate purusha and we remain by ourselves it in german philosophy you had leibniz the monads the monadology of leibniz he speaks about monads uh, individual units of consciousness apart from the material order of the universe immortal consciousness so that's purusha purushakyam that consciousness dwelling in this body apart from body is called purusha sammatam sammatam the word itself means adequately properly expressed in the upanishads this theory of consciousness is properly expressed in upanishads for the first time in human history i think there is a scientific attempt to study consciousness nowadays we have a whole field called consciousness studies there was this attempt itself was not made 30 or 40 years ago in the last 20 30 years it has become a big area of investigation and one of the most confused areas consciousness studies is a multidisciplinary field there is neuroscience there there is a, a computer science there there is linguistics there is philosophy there is literature and so many things almost every aspect of human because consciousness is involved in everything we are consciousness and naturally whatever field you go to you'll feel that yeah it's connected to my field so all fields a multidisciplinary uh, effort consciousness studies and one of our monks who is a noted mathematician i once was talking with him and he says i refuse to discuss anything about consciousness studies why he says it's not a mature field i said why are you saying that because a characteristic of a mature field is you are able to define your fundamentals they have no definition of consciousness nothing at all you cannot even all the attempts are just crude attempts at beginning sammatam adequately beautifully set out as far as possible in the upanishads and swami can you define consciousness you're talking big all these people are try- working very hard to understand consciousness and you say they don't understand they can't define it can you define it in vedanta in upanishads or oh, very easily whether we can understand after that is a different matter but it can be defined easily so precise the definition i'll give it to you here one definition is attributed to shankaracharya's disciple padmapada acharya anidam chaitanyam pure consciousness is not this awareness what does it mean not this awareness from your awareness right now right here if you eliminate ignore whatever you can call this you will get consciousness you you will arrive at pure consciousness this this world not consciousness this body not consciousness this breath not consciousness because you can call it this this thought also not consciousness to go back and you arrive at consciousness then bombshell he says dehatitam shining here in this body beyond this body dehatitam how contradictory beyond means outside you say um santa barbara beyond los angeles 
which means in Los Angeles, Santa Barbara is not there. In Santa Barbara, Los Angeles is not there. It's beyond, lies beyond Los Angeles. So if the consciousness, Purusha, pure consciousness, the self, is Dehatitam, lies beyond the body, then how did you just say it is shining in the body? What does it mean to say that it shines right here, right now, and yet it is beyond the body? What does it mean? You see, when we, it's a, our usual way of understanding beyond means something outside. And outside means a lot of problem. If you say outside, then you are limiting it. Which means, Santa Barbara is limited, Los Angeles is limited. There is a point beyond which it is not Los Angeles. There is a point beyond which it is not Santa Barbara. Up to which it is not Santa Barbara. If the self lies beyond the body, which means in the body, it is not. So that is a wrong understanding. And it's, it's natural. I remember once, Swami Ranganathanandaji, who was the uh, 13th president of our order, in Belurmat, there was a question answer going on and we were standing there listening to him. And uh, he spoke about the self, this one. And he did this. He said, oh, the self, he did this, this, this gesture. It's here, right here. I was thinking, look, what's right behind him is the wall. Right here means what? Right behind him, the wall. Is, it, is that the self? Not physically beyond the body. In what sense, follow this carefully, in what sense does the water exist in the wave? In what sense is the water transcend the wave? You understand? Water, the, the, the wave, there is water, there is no doubt about it. When you look at the wave, there is water. After all, what else is there except water? But the water transcends the wave also. How? That water was there when it was not a wave. That water will continue to be there when it will not be a wave. Being a wave does not affect the water. The Sanskrit word is asanga. Unattached. Unaffected. The self within, follow this carefully, the self within us right now is completely unattached, unaffected by the little person which we appear to be. Without a second thought for this little person, the self slips away into sleep, into dream, into deep sleep, where the little person, we, our problems, our desires, our goals, none of them exist. And the self goes away from this state to the other state very easily, without any problems. I sometimes give this graphic example. People come and say that, Swami, we are so attached to the world. It's very difficult to be a Swami. I say, Vedanta says, you are not at all attached to the world. Not in the least. Take the case of the greatest attachment possible in the world. Very graphic example. A young mother with her baby. The greatest, the strongest possible attachment in human life. A young mother with her baby. Her whole mind is concentrated on the child. And everything she is doing, she, the child is at the back of her mind all the time. Even if she is, when she is busy with something else. And yet, that same young mother, when she is tired at night and she goes to sleep, somebody said, Swami, young mothers don't get much sleep. Your baby will be crying. <laughs> but anyway, at one time she does go to sleep. And she goes into sleep. Where is the baby? Completely out of her consciousness. The world has disappeared. Her own body is not in her consciousness. Her baby is not in the consciousness. The self leaves without the slightest, doesn't look back at all, goes the, from the waking state into the dream state, into the deep sleep state. We never think about it that way. The greatest attachment is left behind without a second thought. And she goes into deep sleep with great joy and happiness. She's eager for some sleep. We don't think about it this way. You're not at all attached. In this very body, pure consciousness dwells absolutely unattached to the little self which we think ourselves to be. Dehatitam. You say then, oh then no, this little life doesn't matter. So is all meaningless, all hopeless. 
meaningless, hopeless when you look at it from the little person's perspective. When you look at it from the pure consciousness perspective, you are that pure consciousness. You exist giving existence to the little person. You shining, the little person shines. It's your bliss that the little person is searching for. Little person, by the little person I mean you. <laughs> the personality. It's your own real bliss which you are searching for. It's your own real consciousness which shines through your eyes, through your ears, through all our sense organs. It's that same consciousness shining through. It is that existence which gives life and existence to each one of us. That's what we are. You have to realize yourself, know yourself as that. So, Dehatitam. Transcending the body in this very body. There's a related verse, same point. I'll just mention it and we can take some questions. 30th verse. So, what did the 29th verse tell us? Oh, fool. Why am I a fool? You're a fool because that which indubitably shines auspiciously within this body, yet transcending this body, which is consciousness itself, manifest in every movement of our lives, which is so well expressed in the Upanishads, you are saying it does not exist. The most obvious thing in our lives, if you say it does not exist, so that's what's said in the 29th verse. 30th verse. Swatmanam Shrenu Murkatvam Swatmanam Shrenu Murkatvam Shrutya Yuktya Cha Purusham Shrutya Yuktya Cha Purusham Dehatitam Sadakaram Dehatitam Sadakaram Sudurdarsham Bhavadrishehe Sudurdarsham bhavadrishehe. Again, he's still in that abusive mode. O fool. The O fool, of course, he's saying that to awaken us from our sleep of ignorance. Sometimes real sleep also. Vedanta is conducive to sleep. One thing which should be prescribed for insomnia is Vedanta class. So, he says, Listen to this instruction about yourself. Swamatmanam Srinu. I'm going to talk about the most interesting subject in the world. What is that Swami? You. Which is the most interesting subject in the world? We ourselves, we, we don't feel like saying it. But we'd love to know more about ourselves. We'd love to discuss ourselves. Make ourselves the center of every conversation. It's not polite to do so. But Vedanta is beautiful that way. It gives you full 100% permission to spend the rest of your life thinking about yourself. <laughs> Talking about yourself, reading about yourself, and Vedanta would, would praise you if you do that. But only the self has a capital S, not the smallest. So listen to this. It's about you. It's not about anything else. It's very interesting. It's about you. And I shall teach you Shrutya Yuktya by reasoning Yukti. And from the Upanishads, Shruti, which I just said, Upanishads set it forth most clearly. So clear there. Shrutya, Yuktya. Most clearly it is set out in the Upanishads and also by reasoning. I have been telling you and I will tell you a little more about Purusham, the pure consciousness which you are. What is it? Dehatitam. Transcending the body as we just discussed, unaffected by anything that happens in this body and mind. Though within this body and mind itself, sadhakaram, one new term has been introduced. Sadhakaram. Sad means pure existence, of the nature of pure existence. You see, one thing common to all our lives from beginning to end is I am. I am a man or I am a woman. I am listening to Vedanta. I am understanding what he says. I do not understand. I am not understanding what he says. I am feeling sleepy. I am happy. I am unhappy. I am successful. I am unsuccessful. I am young. I am old. I am religious. I am irreligious. I am an atheist. I am a Vedantist. 
one thing common to all of them? I am. Drop the adjectives, the qualifications, the attributes from it. Take only the common thread running through all of it. I am. This is what is called sadakaram. The I am is this vast blue sky in which the clouds, dark and light and big and thick and small and fluffy, they float through. What are the clouds? Man or woman, successful, unsuccessful, I understand, do not understand. Um, wealthy, poor, religion, religious, atheistic, clouds passing through the sky. None of them stay. That's the proof that they are clouds. They are not you. The proof is none of them stay. Think about it. I am an atheist. How long have you been an atheist? Have you been an atheist when you were born? Did you, when in the moment you were born, did you cry out or did you say, I am an atheist? No, it's a, it's a thought that you have. Are you an atheist when you are in deep sleep? No. And they also say there are no atheists in the foxholes, in the, in the trenches, in the war. When you're fighting, when you're faced with imminent death, there are no atheists. <laughs> anyway, so these are ideas which come and go. No, that I am Mr. So and So and this is my life. This is not an idea, it's a fact. Really, what happens when you go to sleep? Where is Mr. So and So? Gone. What happens when I lose my memory out of Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or something? Where is the personality? Where is the person? Where is Swami So and So? Gone. It's a cloud floating through the sky. Be attached to it and suffer. Know it to be a cloud. Let it appear. Let it enjoy the dance of that cloud. Let it melt away. You are in bliss. You are at peace. Never think you are anything apart from that sky. The I am. And the rest of it, let it come and go. You can't stop it. Let it come and go. Sadakaram. Sudurdarsham bhavadrishehe. But for persons like you, he says to the student, it will be very difficult to understand this because unless you take the, the help of the Upanishads, if you just sit and try to think, who am I? Uh, try to understand that through speculative philosophy, you'll never get anywhere. And also the qualifications are necessary. Now, he has not mentioned them right now, but earlier we have discussed them. Viveka. The ability to distinguish between the eternal and the non-eternal. Vairagya, the desire for the eternal and giving, turn, turning away from the transitory. Uh, the sixfold discipline and an intense desire to be free of the suffering of life. Mumukshuttum. Should be the Shatsampatti, Shamadamadi Shatsampatti and Mumukshuttum. Intense desire to be free. Without those, it's very difficult. With those, it's extremely easy. Straight path. To, to realize this. All right, let's just uh, take some questions. We have time today for questions. Yes, there's a question there. Is there a contradiction if we assume both the self exists and the body and mind exist? Um, the self as in the self with capital S. Capital S, yes. No, there is no contradiction, but this has to be understood carefully. The water exists and the wave also exists. In that sense, if you understand it, it's all right. But if you say the water exists and the wave exists, we must know that they are, they are not two separate independent existences. Why? Because you cannot show the, the wave separate from the water. The water can exist without the wave. It was water earlier. It can be water vapor, it's still water. It can be rain, it's still water. It's not a wave. But the wave cannot exist without water. Similarly, universe, this entire universe of your experience, this body and mind, body and mind within, all of it is like the wave and, and the self, the pure consciousness is like the, the water there. So they all exist in the sense that they appear in pure consciousness. Yeah. They do not have independent existence. Can the desert exist and the mirage exist? Well, yes, as long as you realize that it is a desert really, it looks like mirage water. It's not real water. 
It cannot be both a mirage and real water. It cannot be both a snake and a rope. It's a rope which appears as a snake. In that sense, yes. Yeah. Then for that, in a sense, self with a capital S yes. have to be understood without any objects, right? Unless yeah. we... Yes. It is to be understood without any objects and yet, ultimately, all objects are nothing but that self. And hence, all objects are manifestations or if you are inclined to bhakti, it is the leela of the self. Once you realize yourself, once the wave realizes itself as water, then the ocean is a place of joy for it. Isn't it? Once it thinks, when it thinks of itself as a little wave, it's a place of terror and competition and superiority complexes and inferiority complexes and problems. There are big waves and small waves and whirlpools and bubbles and foam. But once it realizes itself as water, it's the whole thing. And all this variety is its own glory, the glory of the water. In the same way, as existence consciousness bliss, this entire universe becomes your glory. Yeah. Wait for the mic microphone. Swamiji, when you say wave and water, yeah. like a theory of duality, when one is pure, one is not pure, both are existence, but a different form of existence, right? When you say how... Think about it. Are wave and water different forms of existence? Hmm. If they are different, then the wave could exist without the water. Can the wave exist without water? No. It is one existence. It just seems to be two. It is the water alone appearing as the wave. But in the process of understanding that the wave is water, wave and water are easy examples. We know them. So we don't have to do Vedanta to understand that wave is water. But the problem is, that's an example. But the problem is with the universe, with Brahman and the universe. Here, as if we know the wave, but we don't know what water is. We know the universe, we know our bodies, we know our thoughts. But what is pure existence here? What is pure consciousness here? What is the water? We, we are unable to understand. That's why this process is there. I am not the body, not the mind. Yes. But the material world says we have to, uh, what they call... Um, duality, you have to transcend. When you transcend duality, you should know the opposite, which is good or bad, suffering or happiness. Yes. Unless you know the opposite, you cannot realize, you cannot. Is it true? Should... Now, what is the question? Question. In the material world, it's a dual, duality, right? When you try to transcend from the duality you like to know what is opposite huh. if it is good you should know bad then without knowing bad you should know you cannot realize it good yes uh, if you are suffering if you are happiness and suffering you should know both yes then only you can really understand dual duality yes for duality you need to know the opposite hmm. look at your question yeah. to understand light you need to know darkness to understand happiness, you can know suffering also, the contrast between the two. But to transcend both, that's the idea of Advaita, not to know the dualities. The, what is the ground, the consciousness in which happiness and misery are appearing? What is that in which success and failure are appearing? What is that in which the big wave and the small wave are appearing? It is water. In the same way, it is existence, consciousness, bliss in which all these dualities are appearing. To understand the dualities, one must know the opposites. But to transcend the dualities, one must know the ground of the dualities. Swami Vivekananda says in his poem, Song of the Sannyasin, One alone exists. It appears as nature, soul. Subject, object. One alone exists. It appears as Prakriti Purusha. Subject, object. Question? Yes. Okay. One of you go. You decide. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, the, the question is kind of in relation to what you just mentioned, because I'm trying to wrap my mind around the concept of the self reflecting on itself. Hmm. And so, like, for example, if you take pure consciousness, yes. would pure consciousness ever reflect 
on its own existence, it wouldn't, right? It wouldn't reflect on its no. own existence, yes. So, so the same way with the analogy of light and darkness, that in order for us, for example, to know, to understand happiness or no good, then there must be the darkness in order to, for there to be the duality, the contrast. Yeah. So could you, in one, on the one hand, actually say that the that the gross body that the um, that our physical being or the the mind the mind is actually necessary to appreciate the consciousness because if consciousness would never reflect upon itself then we actually only have the mind to reflect on consciousness and to therefore strive to achieve it true yeah now well, one, I'll make two points here. One is, it's a very good question. One is that to reflect upon itself and to know itself, you need the mind. Yeah. The self needs the mind to know itself. But the whole purpose of reflection upon itself and to know itself, what's the purpose? The purpose is to overcome suffering yeah. and attain bliss and peace. Yeah. So the whole process of Vedanta, all of this reflection, is only to overcome ignorance. From the point of view of the pure self, there is no ignorance. And there is no need to overcome ignorance. There is no possibility of that also. But we are doing all this from our point of view. From the little person's point of view. From the wave's point of view. It's we as limited individuals, we want to realize our unlimited self. Yeah. So we are trying to overcome our limitation by realizing that. Uh, through this process. Now the other question is, does it require the mind? You see, it's not a question of whether require or not. Just look at our daily lives. We have two states, actually. One is a state of awareness of subject-object, which we call waking and dream. In waking, right now, hopefully, <laughs> we are aware of subject and object. Yeah. Here is consciousness projecting a universe out and being aware of various forms using its powers to see and hear and smell and touch and think and feel, enjoy and suffer. And in dream also something similar happens. But there is another state where consciousness exists without knowing itself as an object. And that's deep sleep. Somewhat analogously, consciousness can perfectly well exist without knowing itself. It doesn't need to. Sri Ramakrishna says, makes a very mysterious statement in the gospel once. He says, why should I always look at the mirror? People will think I'm mad. Consciousness does not need to look at its face in the mirror all the time. If it wants, it can. Consciousness looking at its face in the mirror is this little person and this little universe. Is your reflection in the mirror of, uh, in the mirror of Maya? But sometimes you put the mirror of Maya aside and you are you. From our point of view, it may seem like nothing. What the Buddhists call the void, shunyam, the uh, non-dualist Vedantins, we call it the purnam, the full. Swami Sharadanandaji in the Leela Prasanga, in the great master, he says, what the Buddhists call shunyam, we call purnam. It's exactly the same thing. It may look like a void from our point of view. From its point of view, it's infinity. Yeah, so that's my answer. Question. Uh, Swami, going back to 28, the question is, what is the protocol of this vocabulary that is being used? Because, you know, when it talks about um, Purusha... Huh. Um, 28 or 29? Uh, this would be 29, sorry. 29. Um, chronologically... We see Sankhya is preceding um, uh, uh, Shankara's Advaita Vedanta. Yes. So and from our point of view of chronological study, we see how Purusha is distinct from uh, Prakriti. Prakriti. And then, you know, the hibiscus and the crystal and all those uh, images and so forth. And we project it as a duality, whereas really I don't think it was envisaged as a duality because Purusha alone exists. And uh, uh, the hibiscus floats in only when it is allowed to, but otherwise Purusha shines in itself. But is the word Purusha therefore being used here 
as uh, Shankara's attempt to um, fuse this difference and equate um, Atman with the Purusha as not making them distinctive, like seeing Samkhya apart from Advaita Vedanta, or is Purusha a word much older from the Upanishads where it was used interchangeably with the Atman? The last is correct. The Purusha is a very, very ancient term. You have the Purusha Suktam in the Vedas itself, where the ultimate reality is called Purusha. Brahman is called Purusha. The pure consciousness within us is called Purusha. The Sankhyan uh, conception of the self is called Purusha. So Purusha is a very old word. About It basically means the reality dwelling within the body. But that reality in Advaita Vedanta is the non-dual Brahman. In Sankhya, it is the pure consciousness um, which is the essence of each living being. And there are many Purushas in Sankhya. In Advaita Vedanta, there is one Purusha which is appearing as all beings and the universe. Now, you can see a progressive development from plurality to dualism to non-dualism. If you go to the Nyaya Vaisheshika philosophers, the Vaisheshika reduces the entire universe with its infinite forms into seven categories. Saptapadartha, substance, quality, action, and some other te uh, technical uh, categories. And the Nyaya has 16 categories, but most of them are, have to do with debate, mm -hmm. not with uh, ontological categories. When you go from there to Sankhya, mm -hmm. you have two categories, mm -hmm. from seven to two. Yoga, two categories, Purusha, Prakriti. Mm -hmm. Consciousness, matter. Now, Mircea Eliade, the Chicago mm -hmm. professor of philosophy who studied uh, yoga in India under Surendranath uh, Banerjee, S.N. Dasgupta, Surendranath Dasgupta, he writes, it's a very interesting development because Sankhya is a very ancient system. Swami Vivekananda called it the, called Kapila the father of philosophies. It's, the, it's a very ancient system. And it's very logical also. In, even in today, we would see that there are two different categories in the universe. Consciousness and the, and, and the world of space, time, matter. Now, Mircea Eliade points out that the two, the, the irreducible binary of consciousness and matter... Purusha and Prakriti, they remained in Sankhya and Yoga. Now what Advaita Vedanta, Shankara did was, he merged Prakriti into Purusha. He dissolved Prakriti into Purusha and said one reality. Prakriti he called Maya and he said it's not different from Brahman, Purusha. Ultimately it's one reality. What did the Buddha or the Buddhists do? They dissolved Purusha into Prakriti. The apparent self, not the ultimate self, they're not, they don't speak in those terms, but they say what we consider to be the self, they show that it's nothing other than movements of nature, moments of consciousness arising and disappearing. He says, they threw Purusha into the stream of Prakriti and it dissolved away. Both of them, they aim for an enlightenment. They don't claim that that can be logically proved. Logically, I think probably you can go acceptably, which seems reasonable, up to Purusha and Prakriti, or Sankhya. Yeah. Vedantins like to see the Sankhyans as sort of uh, dualists or unable to force yes. into one. But actually, they do not, it, it is not ultimately a dualist. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not really a, ultimately a dualistic setup, because when Purusha, which would approximate to consciousness, yeah. shines, Prakriti really is, is not, literally is not visible. It's only when the hibiscus nears the crystal that the crystal is colored. Yes. So it is not really a threatening duality at all, as the Vedantins like to perceive uh, it. True, but ontologically, philosophically, there are two reals, Purusha and Prakriti. Ontologically, as a sense of being. There is being which Prakriti has, Nature has existence of its own apart from Purusha. Though it cannot be an intelligible existence, it's not an existence that's illumined by consciousness, but it's an existence all the same. So nature exists quite apart from Purusha. And Purusha exists quite apart from nature. So they have their independent being. Whereas in Advaita, Prakriti loses its ontological status as an independent being 
and it gets merged into uh, Brahman or the Purusha cognate in, in Advaita Vedanta. Which is where the Buddhists derive the sense of everything arising in consciousness temporarily, temporarily. Yes. They look at it from the Prakriti point of view. Mm -hmm. That's uh, Mitya Eliade's analysis. Mm -hmm. yeah. It is the Alata Shanti. Alata Chakra, that is the, mm -hmm. uh, when you whirl a firebrand around fast, it looks like a circle. Right. And so the, they will say that what you consider to be Purusha, the self, is just a stream of flickerings, mm -hmm. of in and out, consciousness flickering in and out, mm -hmm. momentarily. Mm -hmm. So they call it Shanika Vigyanavada. Mm -hmm. Every moment consciousness arises and disappears, mm -hmm. and it gives the illusion of a, of a conti continuous self. But we don't, don't we have that thought carried into Vedanta too, where, you know, uh, although we, we always uh, talk of ultimates like samadhi and so on, but actually to know anything, the s smallest minutiae of experience, the subject and object have to dissolve at one point to have that moment of consciousness. True. You have pointed the exact, uh, exact juncture where Vijnanavada and Advaita Vedanta will meet. Mm -hmm. And Advaita Vedanta says at that point, the flickering, the so-called flickering of consciousness is due to the flickering of the mind, mm -hmm. the vrittis coming and going, mm -hmm. and consciousness shining on the vrittis. That's why it seems to be consciousness coming and going out of existence. Mm -hmm. Whereas consciousness in itself is unchanging and unflickering. It's the mind which throws up a stream of prittis, which shine in consciousness and seem to be the so-called series con stream of consciousness of the Vigyanavada Buddhists, the subjective idealist Buddhists. Okay, we'll, we'll bring you. it to an end here. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu